Section 10 of Fairy Prince and Other Stories by Eleanor Hallowell Abbott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Nan Dodge. The Book of the Funny Smells and Everything, Part 2. It's only the mother side of me that is gentle, laughed my mother. She threw back her head suddenly. She thrust out her hands. It jerked her soft, calm hair all fluffy and wild across her forehead. Her eyes danced. Her cheeks turned all pink. Oh, wouldn't it be fun, she cried. All the roaring and the ranting and the foaming and the furying, racing up the beaches in great waves and splashes, banging against the rocks, scaring the fishes almost to pieces, rocking the boats till people fell bump right out of their berths onto the floor, ruffling the gulls till— "'You wouldn't actually wreck a boat, would you?' said my father. My mother stopped tossing her head and waving her hands. She gave a little sigh. She began mending my father again very hard. "'Just pirate,' she said. "'Oh,' said my father. We intended to make the next one about motions, I explained, but it was too hard. Carol wanted to be an elevator. Carol says an elevator is like quicksilver in a giant thermometer that's gone mad. He wanted to be the motion it makes when the elevator's going down and the floor's coming up, but it made me feel queer in my stomach. Merciful heaven, said my father, what kind of a family have I drawn? My wife wants to be a storm at sea, and my son aspires to feel like an elevator gone mad. Carol looked at my mother. My mother looked at Carol. They laughed their eyes together. So we made it money and memory instead, I explained. Made what money and memory instead, said my father. The next two questions, I explained. Oh, said my mother. Fire away, said my father. Question number four, I said. Which do you like best? Times? or things. Times or things, said my father, whatever in the world do you mean? His eyebrows looked pretty puzzled. Why, we mean, I explained, if somebody gave you five whole dollars for your birthday, how would you rather spend it? What would you get most fun out of, we mean, times or things? Would you be most apt to spend it for rabbits, we mean, or going to a fair? Oh, said my father, I see. Times or things? Times or things? Why, things, he decided almost at once. Things, of course. When you buy a thing, you've got something really tangible for your money. Something definite. Something really to show. Rabbits, I admit, would probably not be my choice. But a book now. A set of garden tools. A pair of rubber boots, even. No, said my mother very softly. I'm almost sure I'd rather go to the fair times or things. Yes, I'm perfectly positive, she cried out, that times give me more pleasure than things do. Now that I think of it, I can see quite plainly that always, always, I preferred to spend my money going to the fair. Yes, but how foolish, said my father. When the fair's over, it's over. Nothing left to show for it but just a memory. My mother laughed right out loud. It was the prettiest laugh. Now that's where you're mistaken, she laughed. When the fair's what you call over, that's the time it's really just begun. Books get lost, or puppies chew them. Garden tools rust. Even the best rubber boots in the world get the most awful holes poked through their toes. But a happy memory? 
A happy memory? She jumped up suddenly and crept into my father's arms. My father stroked her hair and stroked it. Carol kicked me in the shins. There's only one more question, I cried out pretty loud. What is it, said my mother. It sounded pretty mumbly through my father's shoulder. Oh, this one is very important, I said. It's about colors. Colors, said my father. He didn't seem to care nearly as much as you'd have thought he would. Colors, mumbled my mother. Somewhere in a book, I explained, we read about a man who wanted his memory kept green. Why green? Why not pink? Why not blue? Or even red, with a cunning little white line in it? Eh? said my father. If you were going away, I explained. My mother's hands clutched at his coat. She gave a queer little shiver. Oh, not away, she protested. Forever and ever, I explained. My mother's face came peering out from the shadow of my father's shoulder. She started to laugh and made a little sob instead. Oh, not forever and ever, she said. We all sat and looked at each other. I felt awful queer in my stomach. Carol kicked me in the shins. He wrote something quick on a piece of paper and shoved it across the table at me. China was the place that Carol meant, I explained. Oh, he didn't mean at all what you thought he meant. If you were going away to, to China forever and ever and ever, and gave your best friend a whole lot of money, like twenty-five dollars to remember you by, what color do you hope he'd keep your memory? Oh, yes, why, of course, said my father quite quickly. It's a jolly one after all, isn't it? Color, color. Let me see. For twenty-five dollars, you say? Yes. Yes, the very thing. Yellow, of course. I hope my best friend would have wit enough to buy a lamp. Nothing fancy, you know, but something absolutely reliable. Daytimes, to be sure, your memory wouldn't be much use to him. But nights? The time everybody needs everybody the most. Nights, I say. Looking back from... From China, was it, that you designated? Nights, it would be rather pleasant, I think, to feel that one lived on and on as a yellow glow in his friend's life. My father reached out and pinched my ear. How about it, Ruthie? he asked. Oh, it's all right, I admitted. But if I gave my best friend twenty-five dollars to remember me by, I hope he'd buy a blueberry bush. Just think of all the colors it would keep your memory. White in blossom time, and blue in fruit season, and red as blood all the autumn, with brown rabbits hopping through you, and speckled birds laying goodness knows what colored eggs, and somebody banged the front door. Somebody scuffled on the threshold. Somebody shouted, Hello? 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 It was the old doctor. We ran to see if he had peppermints in his pocket. He had. After the old doctor had given us all the peppermints he thought we ought to have, and seven more besides, he sat down in the big croton chair by the window and fanned his neck with a newspaper. He seemed to be pretty mad at the people who had made his collars. Phew, he said, the man who invented a twenty-one-inch collar ought to be forced to suck boiling starch through the neck of a bluing bottle. We didn't see just why. The old doctor said he didn't care to discuss it. Any news today? asked my father. News enough, said the old doctor. He seemed pretty mad about that, too. 
"'Such as what?' asked my father. "'There's a prince and princess in town,' said the old doctor. "'Or a dutch and duchess, or a fool and foolish, I don't care what you call them. "'They've got some sort of a claim on the old Dunvoley's estate. "'Brook, meadow, blueberry, hillside, popple grove, everything. "'They've come way from Austria to prove it. "'Going to build a tannery, or a fertilizer factory, "'or some other equally odiferous industry.' fill the town with foreign laborers, string a line of lozy shacks clear from the blacksmith shop to the river, hope they choke. Oh, my dear, my dear, said my mother. The old doctor looked a little funny. Oh, I admit it's worth something, he said, to have you call me your dear. But I'm mad, I tell you, clear through. And when you've got as much through to you as I have, that's some mad. Phew, he said. When I think of our village, our precious, clean, decent, simple little all-American village, turned into a cheap, rackety, crowd-you-off-the-sidewalk Saturday night hell-hole. Oh, 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 cried my mother. Quick, get him some raspberry shrub, cried my father. Maybe he'd like to play the children's new game, cried my mother. It isn't a game, I explained. It's a book. My mother ran to get the raspberry shrub. She brought a whole pitcher. It tinkled with ice. It sounded nice. When the old doctor had drunk in it, he seemed cooled quite a bit. He put the glass down on the table. He saw the book. He looked surprised. Lanos Bryant accounts, he read. He looked at the date. He looked at my father. What are you trying to do, man, he said. Reconstruct a financial picture of our village as it was a generation ago? or trace your son Carol's very palpable distaste for a brush back to his grandfather's somewhat avid devotion to pork chops? He picked up the book. He opened the first pages. He read the names written at the tops of the pages. Some of the names were pretty faded. Alden, Hoppen, Weymouth, Dunvorleys, he read. He put on his glasses. He scrunched his eyes. He grunted his throat. Phew, he said. A hundred pounds of beans in one month. Is it any wonder that young Alden ran away to sea and sunk clear to the bottom in his first shipwreck? Roast beef? Roast beef. Malt and hops. Malt and hops. Roast beef. Malt and hops. Is that where old man Weymouth got his rheumatism? And young Weymouth, his blood pressure. Dunvorleys? Dunvorleys. What? No meat at all from November to February. No fruit. Only three pounds of sugar. Great gastronomics. Back of all that arrogance, that insulting aloofness, was real hunger gnawing at the Dunborley's vitals. Was that the reason why? Merciful heavens, cried the old doctor. This book is worth twenty dollars to me, this very minute in my practice. The light it sheds on the village stomach, the village nerves, the... Please, sir, I said, the book is Carol's. Mr. Lanos Bryant gave it to him, and we're planning to get a great deal more than twenty dollars for it when we sell it. Hey, said the old doctor, what? He jerked round in his chair and glared at Carol. This, I'll have you understand, my young man, he said, is in the cause of science. Carol looked pretty nervous. He began to smooth his hair as well as he could without bristles. It didn't smooth much. Oh, please, sir, I explained. 
People who write books never have smooth hair. Who's talking about writing books? roared the old doctor. Please, sir, we're trying to talk about it, I said. My voice sounded pretty little. It's the back part of the book that's the important part, I explained. It's the back part of the book that we're writing. Hey, said the old doctor. He slammed the book together. He stood up and began to look for his hat. There didn't seem to be a moment to lose if we're going to get him into our book. I ran and caught him by the hand. Even if his face was busy, his hands always had time to be friends with Carol and me. Oh, please, 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 I besought him. If you were a beautiful smell instead of a beautiful doctor, what beautiful smell in the whole wide world would you choose to be? What? said the old doctor. What? What? He kept saying over and over. He looked at my father. He looked at my mother. My mother told him about our book. He made a loud guffaw. Guffaw, I think, is the noise he made. Carol is sure that it is. He looked at Carol. He looked at me. He began to guffaw all over again. Well, really, young authorettes, he said, I hardly know how to answer you or how to choose. Ether or chloroform? and general disinfectants being the most familiar savors of my daily life, the only savors, indeed, that I ever expect to suggest to anybody. He looked out the window. There was an apple-blossom tree. It made the window look very full of June. His collar seemed to hurt him. It made him pretty serious. It made his voice all solemn. But I'll tell you, kiddies, he said quite suddenly, I'll tell you the sweetest thing that I ever smelled in my life. It was the first summer I was back from college. I was out on the common playing ball. Somebody brought me word that my father was dead. I didn't go home. I slunk off instead to my favorite trout brook and sat down under a big white birch tree and cursed. I was very bitter. I needed my father very much that year, and my stepmother was a harsh woman. Late that night, when I got home, ugly with sorrow, I found that I'd left my catcher's glove. It happened to be one that my father had given me. With matches and a tin-can lantern, I fumbled my way back to the brook. The old glove lay palm upward in the moss and leaves. Somebody had filled the palm with wild violets. I put my face down in it like a kid and bawled my heart out. It was little Annie Dunn Vorlees, it seemed, who had put the violets there, trailed me clear from the ball field. Little kid, too, only fourteen years to my twenty. Why, her mother wouldn't even let me come to the house, had made Annie promise even not to speak to me. But when trouble hit me, little Annie, the old doctor frowned his eyebrows. Words, he said, it's words after all that have the real fragrance to them. Now take that word loyalty, for instance. I can't even see it in a newspaper without... He put back his head suddenly. He gave a queer little chuckle. Sounds funny, doesn't it, kiddies? He laughed. To say that the sweetest thing you ever smelled in your life was an old baseball glove thrown down on the mossy bank of a brook. I looked at Carol. Carol looked at me. His eyes were popping. We ran to the book. We snatched it open. It bumped our heads. We pointed to the writing. I read it out loud. 
the most beautiful smell in the world is the smell of an old tattered baseball glove that's been lying in the damp grass by the side of a brook in June time. My mother looked funny. Good gracious, she said, are my children developing second sight? First it was the field of tulips already written down as their father's choice before he could even get the words out of his mouth and now, hours before the old doctor ever even dreamed of the book's existence, they've got his distinctly unique taste in perfumes all. But this isn't the old doctor, I cried out. She wrote it herself. It's the lady down at the hotel. It's the, the empress that the old doctor was talking about. The empress, gasped the old doctor. Well, maybe you said princess, I admitted. It was someone from Austria, anyway. Come to fuss about the old Dun Vorley's place. You said it was. You said that's who it was. It's the only strange lady in the village. What? gasped the old doctor. What? He looked at the book. He read the lady's writing. Anybody could have seen that it wasn't our writing. It was too dressy. He put on his glasses. He read it again. The smell of an old tattered baseball glove that's been lying in the damp grass side of a brook june time good lord he cried out good lord he couldn't seem to swallow through his collar not anyone else he gasped in all the world there couldn't possibly be anyone else it must it must be little annie dun vorlace herself he rushed to the window there was a grocery boy driving by hi hi there he called out don't mind anybody's orders just now Take me quick to the hotel. It's an emergency, I tell you. She may be gone before I get there. We sat down on the sofa and curled up our legs. Our legs felt queer. My mother and father sat down on the other sofa. They looked queer all over. They began to talk about the village. It wasn't exactly the village that we knew. It was as though they talked about the village when it was a child. They talked about when the bridge was first built. They talked about the spring when the big freshet swept the meadow. They talked about the funny color of Jason the blacksmith's first long trousers. They talked about a tiny, mottled fawn that they had caught once with their own hands at a Sunday school picnic in the Arbutus woods. They talked about the choir rehearsals in the old white church. They talked about my father's graduation essay in the high school. It was like history that was sweet instead of just true. It made you feel a little lonely in your throat. Our tame coon came and curled up on our legs. It made our legs feel better. The clock struck nine. Our father and mother forgot all about us. Pretty soon we forgot all about ourselves. When we woke up, the old doctor had come back. He was standing by the table in the lamplight, talking to my father and my mother. He looked just the same, only different, like a portrait in a newspaper that somebody had tried to copy. All around the inner edges of his bigness, it was as though someone had sketched the outline of a slimmer man. It looked nice. Well, it was little Annie Dunn Vorlees, he said. Was it indeed, said my father. Hasn't changed a mite, said the old doctor, not a mite. Oh, of course she's wearing silks now instead of gingham. And her hair? Well, perhaps it's just a little bit gray, but... Gray hair's very pretty, said my mother. 
Humph, said the old doctor. I expected, of course, that she'd think me changed a good deal. I've grown stout. Healthy, she called it. She thought I looked very healthy. The old doctor shifted his feet. He twitched at a newspaper on the table. That Austrian gentleman with her isn't her husband, he said. She's a... she's a widow now. It's her husband's brother. Really, said my father. Oh, thunder, said the old doctor. I guess perhaps I spoke a little bit hastily when I was here before, about their ruining the village. I've been talking a bit with Annie, and... His face turned quite red suddenly. He laughed a little. There won't be any changes made at present in the old Don Borley's place, I imagine. Not at present, anyhow. He looked over at us. We scrunched our eyes perfectly tight. Asleep, he said. He picked up our book. He tucked it under his arm. He looked at my father and mother. It's quite time, he said, that you started a bank account for these children's college education. It costs a great deal to send children to college nowadays. Carol will surely want a lot of baseball bats, and girls, I know, are forever needing bonnets. He took two big gold pieces from his pocket and put them down on the table where our book had been. They looked very shining. My father gave a little gasp. He jumped up. He started to argue. My mother hushed him with her hand. Shh! Not tonight, she whispered. Not tonight. She looked at the old doctor. She looked at our book, all hugged up tight under his arm. Her eyes looked as though they were going to cry, but her mouth looked as though it was going to laugh. Oh, of course, if it's in the cause of science, she said. If it's in the cause of science. End of section 10 The Book of the Funny Smells and Everything Part 2 Recording by Nan Dodge